John wants the spotlight to be on Jesus. His job, John's job, is just to pave the way for him. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. And thank you for tuning in to our 46th episode of Working with the Word. Last time we looked at how the Apostle John introduced Jesus to us as the Word, as the giver of life and light, and the amazing fact that he became flesh and lived among us as a human being to show God's grace and truth. And I just want to say, coming off of that, that we really just barely scratched the surface in the depth of that. There's obviously something so special, so unique about Jesus. And so we're ready to dive into the beginning of Jesus' actual ministry today. But before we begin to see what Jesus himself is doing, we have to start with what John the Baptist is doing. We were briefly introduced to John the Baptist last time in the prologue, but today we're going to see what he was saying about Jesus and how that leads to Jesus gathering his first followers in our text today. So Jeff, I'm going to kick it to you so you can read our passage that we're going to study. This is John 1, verse 19 through verse 51 from the Christian Standard Bible. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water, so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come, and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. 
When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, so our text today breaks down pretty easily into two sections. Verses 19 through 28 is really John the Baptist's testimony, how he's telling people to not believe in him, but believe in the one that's coming after him. And then verses 29 through the end is Jesus's first disciples, his first followers, kind of their curiosity is piqued and they start to follow him and ask him questions and they start coming to him. And so let's take this first section. John the Baptist is, is preaching, he's baptizing. What's the first thing that you notice here? That's the Really, the first question we need to ask when we come to a passage is, open our eyes, what's observed? So what's the first thing that you notice as you read this? They're coming and asking all of these questions about John, and just really their, their curiosity, they're trying to understand what John is about, and something that I think you'll get into more a little bit later, but the fact that they're asking these questions shows that John is really making a big splash by arriving and doing the things that he's doing. They're not asking these questions about other people for the past 400 years, at least not from what we understand, not that we have record of, but from the time of Malachi until John, we kind of have this, we refer to it as the period of silence or nothing much has been going on. But now that John's here, boom, we need to know something about you and what you're all about. So that's what stands out to me is just all these questions and, and John dealing with these questions in a way that's going to be pointing them to Jesus. What about you, Emerson? I kind, of, kind of the same thing, how, how sudden John's arrival was and how shocking it was. And that's why the Pharisees sent the priests and the Levites, you know, who are you and, and what are you doing and why are you doing all of these things? And one of the things that I think we have to understand as, as readers today is that there's a lot of Old Testament background to this. Mm-hmm. And, and even you know in between the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a lot of expectations that have kind of developed. And so you know this, this is really hitting on a lot of those things. So these phrases that are in the questions that they're asking John, um, it really kind of hits and triggers those Old Testament prophecies and the Messianic expectations. And so when they come to John saying, who are you? The very first thing that John says is, I am not the Messiah. So immediately he wants them to have a clear understanding that he is not the one that the Old Testament was ultimately looking forward to. Mm-hmm. And so they say, if, if you're 
not the Messiah, then are, are you Elijah? And that refers to Malachi chapter 4, where at the very end of the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, they may have misunderstood what that was about. And so John says, no, I'm, I'm not this one that you expect to come. And so then they say, well, are, are you the prophet? It's kind of like they're, they're running out of <laughs> options here. The prophet refers to the promise in Deuteronomy 18 when, when God tells Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I'm going to put my words in his mouth, and people are going to be held accountable for obeying his words. Mm-hmm. And again, John just flatly denies that. No, I, I'm not the prophet. And I liked when you read that in, in verse 22, you kind of conveyed the frustration. <laughs> who are you then? Yeah. You know, wh- who do you say that you are? And what, what are you then? You need to give an answer for who you are. And, and all he says is, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And so this is a quotation from Isaiah 40. And what's interesting about that is there's less of a focus on who this voice is and more of a focus on what he says. John wants the spotlight to be on Jesus, on the Lord that's coming. And his job, John's job, is just to pave the way for him. And so the point is that something big is coming or rather someone big is coming, Mm -hmm. and I'm here to place the spotlight on him. And that's exactly what he does when he says, he sees Jesus coming, he says, this is the Lamb of God. And, you know, this is one of those phrases that if, if you're looking at your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the Lamb of God, because this is, again, one of those trigger phrases that the Jews probably didn't understand initially, but... The Lamb of God really conveys what Jesus came to do. And if you're a Jew and you're hearing that, that would have probably conveyed, you know, brought up images of sacrifice, mm-hmm. of bringing your lamb, you know, sacrificing at the, at the Passover or something like that. And that's exactly what Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God who came to die for our sins. So think sacrifice, think the Passover lamb. Even think Isaiah 53 when it talks about how the suffering servant would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And and he's not just the lamb of God, though. What John goes on to say is, I know he's the lamb of God. I know he's the Christ because I saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him. We know that when John baptized Jesus, that that's what happened. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And I think Here's some more Old Testament background. Isaiah 61 verse 1 talks about the anointed one. That word Christ or Messiah simply means the one who is anointed. When someone was anointed in the Old Testament, like a prophet, priest, or king, it showed that God chose that person. And so what John is saying is, I know that this is the one. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so John applies that to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed Jesus. And so when you, when you kind of back up and look at John's testimony and what Jesus himself does, 
what's amazing is that John is preparing the way for Jesus, and Jesus doesn't arrive on the scene saying, as great as he is, he's, he's not saying, okay, here I am. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm the Word. I'm the life. I'm the light. He, he kind of arrives discreetly, subtly, almost as if John has to point out to the world, this is the Lamb of God. And all Jesus is doing at this point is just, I mean, he hasn't done any teaching. He hasn't done any miracles yet. He's just letting John do his work so that later on, he can kind of subtly and discreetly show who he really is. Mm -hmm. So as we're seeing the spotlight shifting, John has been talking about Jesus. And even here, as we've broken down, you have these two sections. There's almost something that happens around verse 34 to verse 35, where now the focus is obviously much more on Jesus as people are coming to Jesus and they're asking Jesus questions or they're being called to follow Jesus. So in this last part of the, the section we're thinking about from verse 35 to the end, and we see Jesus' disciples coming to him, what's something you had noticed or observed from this section, Emerson? One of the first things that stands out to me is that Jesus knows who these men are that come to him. Mm -hmm. Even before they know who Jesus is, it's almost like Jesus is intimately acquainted with them. Like, yeah. like Simon comes to him and, you know, Peter hasn't introduced himself. Simon hasn't introduced himself yet. And it's like Jesus introduces Simon to himself. <laughs> uh, I know yeah. who you are. You know, uh -huh. you're Simon, but I'm going to rename you Peter. Right. Um, I'm going to name you Rock. And so he knows Peter. He also knows Nathaniel. You know, Nathaniel's like, you know me? <laughs> when Jesus says, this is someone in whom there is no deceit. Here's a true Israelite. And so that really signals that there's something special about Jesus. I mean, he knows these people even before they're coming to him. And I imagine that as a follower of Jesus, that would have really <laughs> piqued my curiosity. How, how does he know me? Yeah. And so that's one of the th first things that, that I noticed. What about, what about you? What do you observe here? I think that one thing that stands out to me is a phrase that gets used in this section of come and see. Jesus says, come and you'll see when the disciples ask, where are you staying? Later on, when Nathaniel is questioning Philip of, can anything really good come out of Nazareth? Philip tells him, come and see. There's something about that invitation there that people are being drawn to follow Jesus. And there's not just a follow Jesus. It's not a demand. It's an invitation. And it's that idea of come and see, how faith is not a blind acceptance, but it's an invitation to examine the evidence. And we always make that point today about our faith, but that was the same thing even when Jesus was actually on earth. It was never just a, he was using his powers to force people into submission to him. He was saying, come and see. Other people would be following Jesus, and they would say, come and see, come look at this guy. We'll see even more of that. I'm thinking about John chapter 4 with the woman at the well and what she does when she goes back home and she tells people, could this be the person? Could this be the Messiah? Let's jump in a little bit, but that's just a phrase, an idea that becomes so important to look to respond to this. Is this really the one that we can follow along? Now, are there things that might happen that we don't understand, like someone knowing about us before we even introduce ourselves? That's maybe outside of what we're normally used to. I mean, sometimes I've gone up to somebody 
and someone has told me about them already, and so I already knew their name before, and they mm-hmm. seem kind of caught off guard. But that's not miraculous. That's just because <laughs> I've been given information, or I've seen their picture, or something like that. I'm acquainted with them through some other way. But this is strange or unique. This is something that would definitely pique my interest. This guy's going to go on to raise people from the dead and multiply food and walk on water. Lots of stuff I can't explain in there, but I can still trust him because of the things that I'm learning from him and seeing in him. So just the reliability and the the openness of God and Jesus here, I think, stands out to me. As we see these five disciples called, you have these first two disciples, Andrew and then this unnamed disciple who's never we're no, told specifically who he is or who this person is. Maybe it's John. John never identifies himself by name in, in his gospel, so it could be him. We see Simon, who's later called Peter. We see Philip, and we see Nathaniel. And remember, all of these questions that were posed to John the Baptist in this previous section, they were looking for somebody who's doing these, these big things, just like you talked about, how you know maybe this is the Messiah, but yet... The real Messiah is the one who, like you saw, he's kind of flying under the radar at the moment. Mm-hmm. He said he's letting John do his work before he begins his own work and his own ministry. And so I think that's real interesting whenever you know, John says, here's the Lamb of God. And when Andrew and this unnamed disciple go and follow him, the first thing they ask him isn't do a miracle for us or give us some great teaching. It's where are you staying? I really don't understand why that's the question for them, but as they spend time with him, they come to be followers of Jesus Christ. And then even later on, when Philip is invited by Jesus to follow him, and then he tells Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, really? From Nazareth? That guy? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth, and I, I don't know enough about Nazareth to say why people said that about Nazareth, but maybe there's more learning I can do about the culture and city of Nazareth to understand that more. We see here, though, that Again, Jesus is not doing, or maybe the filling the expectation of what they expected for the prophet, for the Messiah. But he's going to prove that he's he's going to give them evidence to say, no, I am the light, the life, the Messiah, the way to God, the Son of God, even. And so, while these men don't know them, don't know Jesus. Jesus does know them. A point that you made earlier, which is just an amazing thing to see, that especially. At, Kind of in this section, I'm focusing on the interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus. You know, Nathaniel, particularly at the end of that, we see in verse 49, he makes this great proclamation about, "Wow, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel." I mean, he goes from that just because Jesus says, "I know who you are." Now, again, obviously today, that may not be something that's quite as eye-catching, but you know, to say, "I know, I saw you under a fig tree." When the moment that Philip came up to you, that's where you all met. That's a pretty amazing thing. And Jesus is going to go on from that great confession to say, you know, you believe because I called you up from under the fig tree, or because I said you were under the fig tree, you're going to see greater things than this. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things that is confusing about, about that is like, well, what was it about him saying, I saw you under the fig tree there is obviously something that that we don't know there. There is something, some backstory that that caused him to to you know make that great confession. And I think you you said something earlier that is really important. That just the fact that they spent time with Jesus led them to to believe in who he was. And you know, from a very practical standpoint, that's really important. That we we can't we can't come to understand who Jesus is without 
without spending time with him. And that's what they did here. You know, whether it was just a few seconds of hearing him him say something about me personally, or whether it's like the earlier disciples, they, you know, spent time with him that evening where wherever he was staying, they spent time with him. And I think there's there's a lot that's unsaid about what Jesus said about himself and what he taught them that that really kind of pushes us to, hey, you know, I need to spend time with Jesus too, so I can come to make the same or have the same faith that these early disciples did. Yeah, we're laying that groundwork now. Remember, while John didn't write this with chapter divisions, this is chapter one. And so we'll definitely have more chances to see, okay, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? But it should be grabbing our attention, and we'll talk about this more in just a second, of all these invitations for others who are coming to see Jesus, we should be having some of those same thoughts as well. Speaking of this confession of Nathaniel and what Jesus says in response to that, we'll make a brief parallel to the end of the gospel in John chapter 20, where we see Thomas, you know, he doesn't believe that Jesus is really risen from the dead, and while we give Thomas a bad rep for being the doubting disciple and the doubting apostle, he, just like any of us, would want to have the evidence, okay, how do we really know that Jesus rose from the dead? I want to see him. I want to have something I can say, you know what, I believe that he really is risen from the dead. I mean, he wasn't there with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. And so Jesus shows up, he sees Jesus, he puts his hands you know, in his side, puts his finger in the holes from what we understand, and he makes this great confession, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We'll get more into that idea there, but we're seeing even how John bookends his Gospels with these ideas of people who are coming to Jesus, examining evidence, and believing in him, again, wanting to cultivate that same point in us. That's kind of the main point, I think, of this section, is for us to come and see Jesus. But before we leave, probably as we read verse 51, and as our audience, you are reading verse 51, there are some questions in my notes here, I just have, what? With like a whole bunch of A's and T's and question marks after it. Jesus says in John 1:51, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So the best we can, we'll start with the general question of what's going on here. I think you look at some of those things and you see this is another section where we're packed with Old Testament imagery and things that have happened from what the first three quarters of the Bible story and see some things that are connected from that. So the angels of God ascending and descending makes us think about Genesis 28 when Jacob has that dream and he, you know, is out just in the middle of nowhere at the time, but he has this dream and he sees angels climbing up and down on a ladder. I think the the greater point from that is that Jesus is even greater than that ladder that the angels climbed up and down, that he really is the way to God. In fact, that place where Jacob has that dream is called Bethel, the house of God. In fact, Jesus, I think, is even saying that I'm more significant than that place that's named after being the house of God. I am the way that's going to be to God. In fact, he uses a phrase here that we haven't seen yet in John. We've seen son of God a couple of times, but now he says the son of man. That's not just talking about his his human side or his humanity. That's something that again, would be a trigger phrase for the people who would be a Jewish audience that would hear him say this. They're immediately loading up Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You know, Daniel has this vision of these terrifying beasts, but then 
he has this vision of one who is like a son of man who rides up on a cloud to God and God gives him the right to rule over this eternal kingdom. And that idea, as Jesus often refers to himself with that title, something we're going to see going forward. I'm thinking in John chapter 3, the son of man must be lifted up. Thinking about the son of man must be lifted up on the cross. Just as more Old Testament imagery there as he compares it to Moses raising up the serpent. So anyway, in that verse, look for or think about some of those Old Testament connections to Genesis 28. Read that story there. I think it's verses 1 through 18 to the idea of the Son of Man and how Jesus is equating himself to that one who's going to fulfill that prophecy, who's going to receive this eternal kingdom, who's going to reign forever, that will never be destroyed, that's going to be over the rest of the world there in Daniel chapter 7. Hopefully that helps with some of that there. The main point of this section here, I think, really has to do, though, with the the come-and-see moments. Those come-and-see, Andrew, come-and-see John or Peter, come and see Nathaniel and see who Jesus is. Like we've mentioned, I think, two weeks ago or maybe last week, and like we've already mentioned today, those are not just moments we read about for those guys. Those should be moments for us that we're thinking about that question of, whoa, am I looking to examine this evidence here? And as I'm reading John's gospel, as John provides the evidence, will I accept these truths about Jesus? Yeah, so I think these are invitations not just to these early disciples, but to us as a reader, right? Come and see. And that tells us that, you know, the so what of all of this is I, as the reader, need to investigate for myself who Jesus is. And that's really what the rest of John, the gospel, is going to do for us, is going to say, okay, here's I'm laying out for you the things that Jesus did, the signs that he performed the teachings that he he laid out for his disciples so that we can investigate who Jesus is. I can't do that for you, the listener, and I can't do that for Jeff, but I've got to do that for myself. We've, this is mm-hmm. an individual responsibility. And so what you see in, in this, you know, this first chapter is that John the Baptist is really piquing people's curiosity so that they have kind of a hook and, oh, yeah, there's something, there's something different about this Jesus from Nazareth guy. Yeah. And then as they come to Jesus and they start asking questions, they start spending time with him, listening to him, you, you see where that curiosity leads them, that it leads them to actually having faith and actually believing that he is and making these confessions. This begins a journey for them to see who Jesus is. And that's a journey that I need to take for myself. So in our challenge for this week, we want to take some of that idea and equate it into our application as well. We're using Jesus's question from verse 38. As these two disciples are following him, you get the picture of he turns around and he looks at me and he says, what are you looking for? And the challenge this week is for you to answer that question. Now, don't say I'm looking for my keys or I'm looking for that $20 bill that I thought I had so I could go pick up my McDonald's later. This is more of obviously a spiritual question. What are you looking for and trying to see how Jesus is the answer to that question. Now, I guess we could even say we don't want you to force Jesus. We want you to just examine Jesus. Are you looking for salvation? Are you looking for God? Whatever you're looking for, I guess the whole point is I'm not supposed to answer that question for you. You have to answer that question. But see how Jesus can answer and does answer that question. 
kind of goes back to finding our why, right? Yeah. That's, that's what we're, I think that's what Jesus is asking those that are following him. Why are you really following me? And what is it that you're really looking for? Yeah, that's a great way to phrase it. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. Next time, we'll investigate Jesus' first miracle and his public demonstration of his authority and power in John chapter 2. Until then, remember, we're still taking requests for our Difficult Passages series. So if you have one that you'd like for us to explore, send it to us and we'll do our best to handle it. You can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.